Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? Good morning to another episode of Rider on the Road. We've been having a bit of fun and games here this morning, but I have my next guest with me, Annie Seaton. Now, to a lot of the people who listen in uh, on my podcast, Annie won't need an introduction. She's sitting here at Sunday morning. She's looking absolutely beautiful with her makeup and her earrings. Um, <laughs> and as I just said to Annie, I've had some catastrophes, as I always do, setting up these podcasts. So one of us is cool, calm and collected, and it's my guest today. Um, but I'd like to ha- have a go at an introduction, even though I've lost my notes. Um, I met Annie through Facebook, and I met her through someone else who we've had on the podcast, um, the beautiful Victoria Black. And the reason I showed an interest in both Victoria and Annie is that they've both been travelling in their caravans with their husbands, and they've been travelling around this beautiful country of ours, which, as you know by now, is a bit of a passion of mine. And the other thing that particularly attracted me about Annie was the cover of uh, her novel that I think was released last year, but Annie will tell us more about that. It's called Kakadu Sunset. So there I was this morning at 6 o'clock going, oh, I've got an interview, I'd better get up and get prepared. I went searching for this lovely novel, uh, Kakadu Sunset, and to my surprise, I already owned it. Uh, And that doesn't surprise me because I would have been attracted to something about uh, Outback Australia. So it makes me all the more excited to talk to an author that I already know through her books and more excitingly about what she's got coming up in the future because, again, it's set in some of the most spectacular country um, that we have here in Australia. So welcome, Annie. Thank you. Now, Mel or Melinda, what do you prefer? Melinda? Ah, Mel. Mel, it's it's turning out to be Mel. Okay, well, thanks, Mel. Much easier when you're online. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about my journeys. They've been fabulous. Yeah, okay. Well, let's start with, I guess we could go back to the beginning of your writing journey, but I think we'll save that for later because I want to know where, what you're up to at the moment. What I'm up to at the moment, I have just, um, well, about two weeks ago, we came back from our fourth big trip where I was researching not the next book but the one after and uh, then I spent uh, literally 16 to 18 hours every day for six days in my edit cave, my desk where I'm sitting now and my wonderful husband who was unpacking the van and cleaning the van and poke his head in and give me a cup of coffee every so often because um, I needed to get the edits for the sequel of To Kakadu Sunset done and dusted because I'm going to Europe on Thursday. <laughs> Isn't that, I love saying that. <laughs> yes, well, we, we all want to know straight away is why are you going to Europe? Okay, I had the last two overseas trips I've had, and I'm a very late um, to coming to a traveller. I'm very late. I didn't go overseas the first time until I was almost 40, and I took our daughter over to England. Um, I won't say how many years ago that was. <laughs> um, and then after that, I went on a um, work trip to Denmark when I was still teaching. 
I went to New Zealand on a month's sabbatical on a premier scholarship when I was still teaching. And then after that, I went to the UK to meet some editing clients and to Tuscany to do a writer's retreat. And then a year or two before that, I was asked to go to the US and meet my US publisher for a business meeting. So this trip, I'm delighted to say, is purely a holiday. I'm going with three girlfriends and we're going to paint Europe red. (laughs) All right. Well, the first thing I've got to say is I don't believe you for a minute. And from the little bit that I've researched about Annie, I'm guessing a story will come out of Europe because everything that Annie does, she writes about. And now we'll do the more formal introduction because I was jealous she's going to Europe and I'm staying in Brisbane. Uh, the Annie is a romance writer. She's a romantic suspense writer. And she's also a prolific writer because Annie's journey began in 2012. She has 18 books out already. She's got a couple more in the making and I'll let her tell you where they're set um, because I won't be able to stop talking and it's about her, not about my passion for the outback. Uh, mm. Annie, would you like to tell us a little bit about why you started writing? Okay, in 2011, I looked at my career. I was a high school principal and it was becoming very stressful and I was getting close to the young retirement age, and I thought, okay, I don't need this anymore. And we looked at our finances. We really couldn't afford it, but to, to weigh it all up, it was much nicer to give it away. So my friend of mine said to me, what are you going to do now? Because you may pick up whatever I do, I throw myself in boots and all. <laughs> I think it's an OCD personality and ADHD and all of those things I knew when I was a teacher. <laughs> and... Um, I said, look, it's been my dream to write all my life. I wrote a novel when I was 11. I wrote a short story when I was about 33. But I had lots of stories in my head that I'd never, ever done anything with. And she said, oh, well, you know, have a go at it. Red rag to a bull. I had a go at it and I was offered a contract within five weeks by Lyrical Press in New York for a little novella that I ran off called Winter of the Passion Flower. That was my very first foray into writing. Since then, um, I was very fortunate to pick up a contract with Entangle Publishing in the US and I've written nine contemporary romances for them, one of which was actually released on the same day as Winter of the Passion Flower, coincidentally, two different publishers in the US, uh, 12th of March 2012, Holiday Affair, which was set in my hometown because we hadn't started to travel at that stage, absolutely amazed me it was on US and UK bestseller lists within five weeks and I think to date I've sold 40,000 copies of Holiday Affair my first book which was just okay I think I can do this writing thing (laughs) so cut to the chase um, probably another 18 17 18 contemporary romances um, historical romances paranormal romances steampunk romances And then I was contacted by a friend, a very good writer friend, Fiona MacArthur, who said to me, look, have you got any romantic suspense? I know that Pan Macmillan are looking for some new romantic suspense authors. And I said, well, no, I haven't. I have got an idea and I have got 5,000 words written of a book that was inspired by our trip to Kakadu in 2013. And she said, well, send it off. So I sent off the 5,000 words. In the interim, 
I headed off to a writer's workshop in Italy with Fiona and we were literally in Dubai International Airport waiting for our flight to Rome when I had a lovely email from the wonderful Hayley Nash at Pam McMillan saying, I love, love, love your 5,000 words. Any chance of making into a series? And I said, well, yes, actually, it's the first of three. And um, she said, I'm taking it to an acquisitions meeting on the 11th of June. So we had champagne and curry for breakfast in Dubai. (laughs) And then a few weeks later, the 11th of June, I was in London by myself. My travelling buddies had gone home. And I got a lovely email from Pam McMillan offering me a three-book deal for Kakadu Sunset and the two following books that are now in process. So that was a wonderful call story. And I still get goosebumps. (laughs) Uh, For those of you who are listening, Annie is just one animated guest. She's sitting here. She she exudes personality. She exudes enthusiasm. And that spills over very definitely into her writing. Uh, I was lying in bed this morning reading uh, Kakadu's Sunset, um, which I discovered, as I said, that I've had for a long time, just never picked up. But some of us do do that with... And that's one of the dangers that I want to talk to you about, Annie. We were talking about... Um, the difference between print books and e-books, I buy a lot of e-books uh, because I see them and I go, wow, that will be interesting, but half the time I never get back to reading them. Um, I noticed that you said in another interview that you do 70% of your reading as e-books now. Well, I did, Mel, until our recent trip. And, you know, it's funny, I, I, like you, I've got probably a 1,000 books loaded. I, I read on my iPad it's very convenient to take it away when you're travelling. Um, but I find if I'm now reading on a device, I'll be reading a story and unless it really grabs me, I think, oh, I'll just check my email, I'll just check my Facebook rather than being on a pure Kindle. So this trip, I actually took half a dozen print books away and then I went to my friend's bookstore in Airlie Beach where we ended up spending a month this trip And I probably read, I'd say, over the seven weeks we were away, I'd say I read 20 print books, which for me is a huge change in my reading habits. Um, I don't know why, but, you know, I did enjoy it. Uh, Being a a librarian from many past lives in the public sector, the school sector, the medical sector, the university sector, there is nothing like the smell of a book. (laughs) (laughs) And... We, we, we're all the same. Anyone who loves books, we love the smell of a book, we love the texture of a book. I just recently bought Annie Proust's latest um, tomb, this big, huge book of a thing, and I've developed this habit of sitting out in the sun on Sundays and reading. And I thought it's been years since we've given ourselves permission to do that, and it's something that I, for genuine book lovers, that will never go away. Um, but Annie touched on something that excites me as well, is she travels in her caravan. And being able to carry print books is a bit of a pain. Uh, when you were up and I assumed you had gone up the north coast and you'd gone up to the Daintree to research for your second novel, which um, Annie might tell us a little bit more about now, but it's already at the editors. It's, oh, yes, Daintree Sunrise was um, finished and sent to Pan before Christmas. The, the process, um, very, very different experiences. Ebooks um, with my US publishers generally took about six months from first word on the computer screen through to writing, editing, cover and publication. With the print 
uh, market and a traditional publisher such as Pan Macmillan, I'm finding the process is, well, it's almost two years. These books, um, Kakadu Sunset, Daintree Sunrise, Kimberly Moonlight, the three contracted books, and the next two, which are in my head, Footprints in the Sand, and I haven't got a title for the fifth one, but I'm hoping Pam McMillan will love it as well. Um, they take a year to write. They're very heavily researched in terms of setting. Um, that's our trip to Kakadu. Our trip to the Dane Tree was in 2014, and then our trip to the East Kimberleys was 2015, and our trip to the Sundays, where we weren't aiming to get to, we were going somewhere else, but we got sidetracked, will now result in a book setting the Sunday Islands. Um, so the research of setting to me is very important. I take lots of photographs. I observe the sights, the sounds, the smells, the feel of the air on my skin and I'm gratified to read a lot of my reviews talk about how people get such a sense of setting when they read my books and I think, well, you know, that's very important to me as a reader as well. So the research of that is very important and equally important is the content research. In Kakadu Sunset, as you're probably discovering, the hero has post-traumatic stress disorder. He was an army helicopter pilot in Afghanistan. The um, heroine is a helicopter pilot, a commercial helicopter pilot. There's a lot of stuff about hydraulic fracking, about the Northern Territory government. So there was a lot of intensive research in factual um, Things, including ploughing through the minutes of the Northern Territory Government when they were actually considering, considering hydraulic fracking and seabed mining. There was a helicopter training flight taken in the Sundays because if I'm writing about a helicopter pilot, I need to be up there and know what it feels like. And I did a, a, a half-hour training flight and actually learned to fly the helicopter with the foot things and the... Uh, so when, when you read Kakadu Sunset and get to her flying and touching the governor and the T-bar cyclic and all of that, I, knew, I did all of that. So um, I also researched, I won't let on that there may be something bad happens in it, but I needed to know about saving a helicopter when it was in a, a free fall. So I had a wonderful contact in the US who took me right through that on a blog. So with the research and the writing, it now takes me 12 months to write a book. The editing process, the cover process, the preparation for marketing with Pan Macmillan is about nine months. So this is an exclusive for you, Mel. Daintree Sunrise will now be released in November this year. Well, so. there you go. See, you heard it first on Writer on the Road podcast, which is becoming more infamous by the day, by the way. I can get 10 and 20 downloads a day now. Um, with Annie on my show, it will go up to hundreds, I'm sure. Hundreds of thousands. <laughs> are. But, Annie, I, I'm very excited to hear you talk about your writing process. Um, it means a lot to me that we've got authors coming through who care so very much about getting it right about um, our outback. I, I started 
uh, my journey listening to and reading Tim Winton. Now, he's the ultimate um, landscape writer and he's coming here in Brisbane in the next few weeks and I'm hoping to get him on my podcast, but, you know, I doubt it. Um, but we will try and <laughs> just remember we knew Annie before she became too important for us and uh, we think and I think and people around me think um, – that your novels are just beautiful. And I was excited when I saw the Daintree because I lived up there and travelled through there extensively. I was more excited about the Kimberley because... Oh, sorry, the third one is called Kimberley... Kimberley Moonlight. Kimberley Moonlight because I want to travel along the Gibb River Road and I'm sure I'll hear a little bit about that. Um, but the Whitsundays, that's home, my old stomping grounds. Um, I lived on my yacht in the Whitsundays for many, many um, months of each year. It's beautiful and I knew... I knew through following Annie on Facebook that she had been in the Whitsundays for a while and she takes the most beautiful photographs. And I know you're a bit of a photographer. Would you like to talk us through um, that part of your life? Yeah, well, photography has been one of those things for many, many years. I keep saying to my husband, one day I want a really, I want a good camera. I I, I want to take photos because wherever we'd go, I'd be doing the, you know, I can. I just seem to have a natural talent for framing a photo, like putting the tree in the right place. It's. I've done no courses. It's nothing learned, um, and I had a little digital camera that didn't take very good photos. Um, I then, when we went to Kakadu, I had my iPad and I was using my iPad for photos, and I took some fantastic photos. And Pam McMillan actually considered a couple of them for the cover of, of Kakadu Sunset. I sent some off. And it was actually a photograph of a beautiful sunset at Yellow Water in Kakadu where the title came to me, Kakadu Sunset. And that sort of came first before the story and then it all came from that. Since then, about two years ago when I went to Italy, um, my husband bought me, I mean, it's not a flash camera, it's about a $700 camera. It's an Olympus EM10, I think, but it takes the most magnificent photos and I've really learned and I've discovered an absolute passion. It's like a third hand. Uh, poor old Ian rolls his eyes whenever we... Like we went down to the beach yesterday because he's out fishing as we speak this morning. So there will be a fishing story one day set up in the Gulf. And I said, oh, how, how long are we going for? And he went, why? I said, will I need my camera? And he went, no. <laughs> <laughs> Got down there. Of course, there was whales out there. So I had to get the phone out and use the phone. So, you know, not only do I love framing them and taking them, I love sharing them. And I use a lot of my photographs. I design covers for authors and I was up till midnight last night doing a series of two covers and I use a lot of my own photographs so the covers will be unique and you're not going to see them with others from the um, stock photo sites. So, um, yeah, there's, you know, a bit of everything. I've learnt to use Photoshop and, um, you know, in the spare time I, I do it for relaxation. <laughs> Uh, and look, I could pick up on so many things there as well, Annie. Long-suffering husbands, uh, one of them. Seeing whales as, on a regular basis on the east coast of Australia is another. Uh, but yes. I guess what I what interests me about everyone that I've interviewed, and you're doing the same thing to me, is this dedication to the craft, and you work really, really hard for your overnight success. You've got 18 books out and now Kakadu Sunset and the ones that are coming afterwards are really going to put you right up there. I've heard the Australian version of Nora Roberts 
bandied around a little bit. Now, I've got to tell you that... That would be nice. (laughs) Nora Roberts is up there as my favourite, favourite author because she writes very simply, she writes very evocatively and she writes very passionately. And I met her at one of the... Yeah, (laughs) prolifically. Yeah, I met her at one of the very early Romance Writers of Australia conferences and I've always been just amazed by her. So if you'd like to be our Australian um, Nora Roberts, I'd love to read everything that you write. Uh, Tell us about your word count. Tell us how how many hours a day you dedicate to this craft we call writing? Well, um, actual writing, when I have a book coming up, now I haven't written anything now for probably seven weeks, apart from, well, when the edits from Daintree came in, I have wonderful, wonderful editors with Pan Macmillan and I actually sent my editor a thank you letter yesterday saying, you ground me and then you help me fly because I do the story when the edits came back in, I had to cut 15,000 words off my 90,000 and then rewrite 10,000 now. So when I say I haven't written for six weeks, I really have. I've written 10,000 words in the last six days. And, you know, with track changes and you never know what it's like and is it really making sense. And I got a lovely email back from my editor yesterday saying, oh, wow, I love what you've done. It's just so much stronger. <laughs> Thank you. You know, you do it. <laughs> you're waiting for that email saying, look, you're not really a writer. You're just kidding yourself. You can't write. Forget this book. <laughs> so um, when I set my mind to writing, when I, which I will do while I'm away, I intend writing Kimberly Moonlight, a lot of it on the plane on the way over this week, I can write between two to 8,000 words a day. My best day ever was 8,500, um, but, you know, if I don't write 2,000, that's a very slack day for me. So, you know, three to 4,000 a day, five to six days a week, I can get a book out pretty quickly set my mind to it now the other things I do in my writing day I spend a lot of time mentoring aspiring writers it's a part of the journey that I really love doing because you know what are we now 16 2016 six years ago I I knew nothing about romance the romance writers of Australia I I knew authors I knew nothing about writing and here I am six years later being called maybe the new Australian Nora Roberts and I really want to share that with people who want to be there. Now what I will say is that it takes determination, it takes drive, it takes passion and it takes bloody hard work and a lot of hours to the detriment of life balance which I'm notorious at not having a good one <laughs> so yeah and then you know as well as that I have a private editing business and um I've probably edited, I think, for the last count, almost 300 clients over the last six years, and I'm pleased to say that I have a 98% record of getting them to contract. So something's working there. Okay, so just just you heard that first here as well. If you want to get published and you're keen to get your book out there, just pay any. Yeah, yeah, editing, you know. But the thing is they have to take on board what I say. I'm very conscious of author voice and, you know, I've edited some books where I haven't corrected grammar or expression because that's that author's voice and I love it. Um, One of my favourites is a US author called Violet Howe and she wrote The Diary of a Wedding Planner, a three-book series, and it is just glorious. But, you know, I didn't change the grammar. I didn't know what some of the US words meant. She's taught me a lot of um, food, US food. So, um, yeah, that's an enjoyable part of my day. So I generally write 
my husband, he still teaches. Um, he leaves me in peace at 7.30 every morning. I feed the cats and the dog. I quickly water the pot plants, load the dishwasher, make the bed and try to be at my desk by 8 o'clock. And I will stay there often without moving till he gets home at 3.30, apart from getting coffee. And then um, after having some quality husband time and some dinner together, I will then edit or do covers from about 7 till 11 every night. So that's, that's my day. <laughs> and, and quality husband time means walk on the beach, feed him, get rid of him and go back to work. Walk on the beach with the dog, exactly. Give him a nice dinner, settle him with a book or in front of the telly and say, oh, I'm just going in the study for a minute. And then, oh, is it 11 o'clock already? We're going to bed now, are we, dear? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's something that interested me about you're an educator. You've got your master's, I think, in education. You're a high school or were a high school principal. Your husband's a teacher. I'm teaching at the moment through circumstances that I don't even want to talk about. Um, but it sucks your soul. You are working and the marking load and all that kind of stuff is huge. Uh, and and I'm an author and not a high school principal anymore. I saw the light. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm guessing that that passion and dedication is what got you to be a high school, high school principal in the first place. But uh, those office hours of 8 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon, five days a week, coming back at night, um, people just don't make it unless you put in those kind of hours. There's a lot of stuff banding around the internet at the moment about write books in 20 days, churn it out. Um, write, one I read and it was sent to my inbox in my email was um, you can write a kid's book, um, they've only got a few words in them, only take you a couple of days, churn it out and get rich tomorrow. What do you think of all that stuff that's coming out? Oh, look, it's like every facet of society. There are so many people out there that want to take your money and build on you know, they, they, they take your dreams and they try to give you a shortcut and it's so disappointing. Okay, maybe one out of a million of those people might make their fortune. And I read lots of articles on self-publishing and you see there was actually something on the RWA um, Facebook site last week about um, the proportion of people and what they earn. Now, I will disclose to you my very first book, Winter of the Passion Flower, if you just put yourself in my position, I was a high school principal, which is, yes, a good salary, but you do work very hard for it. My first year, Winter of the Passion Flower, my first royalties check, we sold 80 copies and I made $19. Don't laugh. And that's what it is. I know, uh, you know, I don't know what it is now, but four or five years ago, the average ebook author was earning $179 a year. Now, I, I read an article um, last week that said um, the, uh, well, when this um, copyright thing has been going off the federal government, the average Australian author earns 12, you know, a successful author earns $12,000 a year. You can't live food wise on $12,000 a year. Um, you know, so people that think, oh, okay, I'm going to write a book, I'm going to do it in 12 days, I'm going to sell a million copies and give up my day job, no. Nah. Doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what Annie's saying is right. I've, I've put my novel out there, The Miner's Wife. Once Annie goes over the Nullarbor and starts writing in Western Australia, there will go my poor old miner's wife. It's set in Norseman in WA. And I'm going, oh, she's going to do it so much better than me. Um, who was. 80 Mile Beach, I'm setting mine out. Where, whereabouts? 80 Mile Beach. Oh, down at Esperance? No, further. Where's uh, that? Oh, up right. The top. Oh. right at the top. Yeah, I've found this, I'm not going to disclose it here, but I've found this fabulous historical story at this 
cattle station that I can't even remember what it's called and you can only get on there if you know somebody and I know somebody. So that will probably be the trip in about three years when my husband does retire. <laughs> so, yes, there is a WA story coming. <laughs> yeah. And keep in mind that might have been book number five. I was going to ask you what book number five was after the Sunday, so it's probably that one. No, 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 that's Carumba Dawn. It's set up in the Gulf. It's a fishing story called Carumba Dawn. And um, then there's another one called Frangipani Bay set up in the Cape. So there's a f- the problem is these stories are in my head and I don't have time to write them all. You know, I, I need to be much more disciplined, she says, having written 24 year books in five years. <laughs> Uh, I'm laughing here because Annie's um, expression, if you get to watch this on YouTube later on, you've got to see this woman. Uh, I've been to Corumba, I've been to most places in Australia and I have my own little series, um, uh, what is it, Around Australia in Eight Romances, um, planning to write one in every state. But I just thought it's going to take me forever. I reckon you could knock that series over in six months. If I put my mind to it and banned myself from Facebook and Twitter and blog writing and doing newsletters, and, you know, it's really hard when you do start to get a measure of success, you think, well, is it because I do all this social media stuff or is it because people like reading my books? And it's a bit scary to think, well, I'll stop that because you think, okay, my books might stop selling. But I have noticed a real shift in my readers since my print book came out, getting lots and lots of messages from different readers who read print books, who buy them in print book stores. So, you know, when we say that the print industry is dead, there is a total different market out there. It's different. And different reviews and different messages, it's hard to define, but there is a definite difference between the two batches of readers. Yeah, and I think too what Annie's saying is you can put your books out there as an indie author, as a self-published author through um, Ingram Sparks and through Amazon. You can have your print on demand. But when Annie is using the word print books, I think what you're meaning, Annie, is through a traditional publisher who can get you into the bookshops, who can can pile you up in Big W and then charge $29 and knock you down to $16 and you go, wow, I've got a bargain and off you go. Um, yep. And, you know, with that $16, you know the author gets $1.60. Yes, yes. Oh, I think the last Miner's Wife I sold online, because the um, Australian dollar is so low at the moment, I think I made minus 30 cents. Um, oh, because, well, yeah. you're almost breaking even. <laughs> I love it. I go to school, I say, oh, it looks like I've got to work another week. Uh, but mm. now that you're with a traditional publisher, because I, I listen a lot to hybrid authors and there are some great indie publishers out there who would never give away their rights. And I guess I'm I'm a rampant militant. I'll never give away my rights, even though nobody's asking for them. Uh, I just I've found it interesting that you've chosen to go the traditional route for these books, and I can see why because it's giving you a high profile. Um, and I guess you'll make some out of the international rights and the film rights, and they will all come, I'm sure, because of our landscape. Yep. Well, another another exclusive for um, Riders on the Road, my US agent, who I fought long and hard yep. about getting an agent. I, I, I have some quite strong views on being represented because I'm a control freak. And I to break into the US market is very, very hard. But I signed with a US agent. And again, getting a US agent was very, very hard. I probably had 30 knockbacks before I had success. 
but um, they're in talks with audible.com at the moment for getting the Kapadu series into audiobook in the US, which will be wonderful if that happens. So fingers crossed on that one. And that, that is pretty exciting because for those of you who don't know, here in Australia we can't access audio to get our books up, or Audible, sorry. Um, I'm just in the process of recording The Miner's Wife and I put up two little excerpts on Facebook last night, which were just hilarious. My um, director is my daughter who's doing a theatre course and she spent more time yelling at me and saying, Mummy, Mummy, you need to get more expression um, than, than you can imagine. And I thought... With a traditional publisher, they'll organise all that. They'll have your narrator. It'll be done professionally. And it's all about that image out there now, being professional, being good, um, and getting rid of those horrendous mistakes that slip through with um, self-publishers. Self-publishing. Well, I'm very fortunate. Two of my um, entangled books are already on with Audible, and I've had the experience of um, seeing what it's like. And it's a fabulous communication process. I was actually contacted by the narrator who asked me, you know, if I had any particular nuances that I wanted or whatever. And um, Dangerous Desire, one of my romantic suspense that's set up at Early Beach and Holiday Affair are both available. They got a New Zealand narrator for one and an Aussie for another. And they are I just absolutely love them love listening to them so that was something pretty special so you know fingers crossed for kakadu sunset and the other two books in the series ah, yes and um early beach you've already got a romance novel set at early yes, beach yes seductive secrets and dangerous desire now again that's the hybrid thing dangerous desire um is published by entangle publishing in the u.s and the prequel seductive secrets was contracted they decided they didn't want it, gave me the right, so I self-published it. So, you know, I've got a two-book series, one's with a publisher and one's a self-published. And uh, it's interesting to see the difference because I've moved away, and another exclusive for Writers on the Road, I've moved away from US publishers because I hate what they do to my Australianisms. Not only the spelling but expressions and one of the funniest stories I can tell for any of your listeners who actually read my very first book Holiday Affair I had a scene in it now was it yes it was Holiday Affair and I had the heroine losing her temper throwing the keys at the hero set up in Armadale after they came back from the Whitsundays so Holiday Affair starts in the Whitsundays you don't see my love of the Whitsundays coming through so she threw the keys at him and said, you're nothing but a sanctimonious bastard. Well, the US editors said you cannot have that in a book. You know, bastard is such a dreadful word. And I'm thinking, well, in Australia it's a swear word, but it's not that bad. So you know what they changed it to? She called him an asshole. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so for all of my read, all of your listeners who read Holiday Affair and go, oh, I don't like that Annie Seaton called someone an asshole. That's not me because when you sign with a US publisher, you have to defer to the editor's advice. Yeah. So I'm now with an Australian publisher and self-published. <laughs> <laughs> I read. Um, what was it? Uh, I read. I was reading a lot of romance. I love romance novels and that's where I started. But when I started reading about Australian cattle ranchers, I thought, that's it. I can't do this anymore. Oh. Outback Affair is a prime example. I have Holiday Affair, Italian Affair and Outback Affair. And I just put a post on Facebook you may have seen earlier. It's four years today since Italian Affair came out. and It's one of my favourite books of all time. 
Outback Affair, the third book in the series, is set up in the Northern Territory at Daly River, heading out to an imaginary place on the Northern Territory coast, and it has trailer parks. I know, and I've actually had Australian reviews who've said, who is this woman who thinks we have trailer parks in Australia? And that hurts because you're, you're, you have no power. It's predominantly for the US market and they want trailer parks and you sign your rights away with it with the US contract. So I'm, I might be a bit cynical. I don't want to put people off US publishers, you know. Yeah. It, it was a wonderful start for me and I wouldn't be here today if it hadn't have been for those books. But... It's hard. Yeah, and I'm one of those readers. I just go, oh, what have these women done? Have they come out to Australia for five minutes and written this thing and gone home? Why didn't they bother doing their research? Because it's true. It really is off-putting. And the thing that attracts me to your writing is our country is just beautiful. Uh, We have some of the most spectacular um, scenery and one of my favourite places is between Cloncurry and Mount Isa through the Selwyn Ranges. Um, Mm -hmm. You've travelled along that road and he's nodding her head going, yes, it's beautiful. Uh, And I thought, you're on the road a lot in your van. Can you spoil me a little bit because I know this is writing, um, but I want to know about your rig and I want to know about your your travelling with your husband and who does what and have you had any brawls yet about um, hitching and unhitching? Oh, yes. (laughs) Okay. The first three years, the Kakadu, the Daintree and the East Kimberleys, we did 35,000 kilometres in three trips. First trip was seven weeks, second trip was five weeks and last year we did six weeks. We did the Kimberleys and back from mid-north coast of New South Wales in six, six weeks. I know, big days. This is not me. We had a camper trailer, a canvas camper trailer that was very easy to hitch up we had oh easy to hitch up but when you get somewhere you know you've got to unfold unpack put the post up no no blues in it the the best one was setting up at Jabiru um in Kakadu National Park in the middle of July when we didn't realize that it was 38 degrees and we were dehydrating because we weren't drinking enough water so three years in the camper trailer and my husband you know what men are like they tend to get these ideas and you can't convince them it's not the truth He tells everyone that I was over the camper trailer. Now, I didn't say anything. I I liked the camper trailer. It was tough. We were very fortunate that we had three dry trips. We had one or two nights at Atherton in the rain and one night at Lennox Head on the way home on our first trip. Three wet nights in three big trips. Pretty good. So he then came home and he started getting on the internet and looking up caravans and rigs and everything. And he pulled me down and said, oh, look at this, what do you think of this? And I'd come away from the laptop, oh, yeah, it looks nice. And about oh, December last year, we went to Port Macquarie for the day and he said, oh, let's go to a caravan shop. And I went, what for? Yeah. Oh, yeah, this is nice. The guy did us a fantastic deal and we bought it without meaning to. <laughs> so we now have a 20-foot caravan with an off-road suspension kit so we can do the Gibb River Road and all of those in the future a little bit further than we did last time we have a toilet and a shower yes luxury luxury I must post, I'll, I'll do a blog and post some photos for you I took a beautiful photo at Rolling Stone Beach north of Townsville about uh, not this full moon but the one before go by the full moons out of the ensuite window in the caravan, a photo of the sunrise and the water. 
Um, so yes, I'm spoiled. We have an absolutely wonderfully comfortable bed. We have a gas stove. We have a full-size refrigerator and pantry <laughs> after living out of plastic crates and portable gas stoves for three years. But, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't do it any other way. The first three trips were fantastic. The other thing I must say is the people we meet on the road just make it so much better. We've made so many friends. And, in fact, my husband's out fishing at the moment with a, a guy we met a couple in Early Beach and they've got a, having a week round the corner here on their way home and they're out fishing every day. So, you know, you meet characters, you meet larrikins, you, you pick up stories and you get a lot of your future characters from these trips as well. Yeah, so. and that's, and that's um, hence my business, Writer on the Road. I've got my rig and I trip around. And I was a little bit shocked there when you said all these huge trips because um, Victoria Black did the same thing to me. She sort of went from Brisbane to Longreach to Mount Isa to Broome all in about a month. Yeah. I'm going, excuse me, can you slow down a bit? There's lots of stuff to see across there. Um, but she has now. She's taking her time going down the West Coast. Uh, yes. But I love her as well. Yeah, because I've never had to work. I had a rich husband. It was great. I could go off for months. I spent a couple of months up at Corumba, travelling up through um, Gregory Downs there, got to yep. Corumba, had a lovely time. It's just one of the most spectacular places you could ever find. Um, and I don't fish. Um, but people rush through our landscape and you don't get the nuances of landscape when you do that. But then I realised your husband's a school teacher and you're trapped like me like a rat at the moment having to stick to school holidays. Long, long service leave every winter. So <laughs> next year we already have the plan. Next year we're taking, now that we have this comfy home away from home, we're already planning to go to Early Beach for all of July and August next year because this year we found it very relaxing and I also, I think my well was a bit dry because I do work fairly hard. And for the six, seven weeks we were away, I think I did two or three edits and a couple of covers. But, you know, normally I do that in less than a week. So I, I read and we walked and we ate and we went fishing and uh, we explored the landscape around Early Beach. We went up to the Proserpine Dam and, you know, we just settled a little bit more. It was very relaxing. But, you know, mind you, at my um, book launch for Kakadu Sunset, I had to smile because um, Ian says to everybody who's listening, you know, how did you write the book and tell me about your travels? He says that I don't see anything as we travel because I'm on the laptop because I work in the car as well. And he tells me, oh, look, you might want to see that. There's an emu. Or look, there's some roadkill. Or look at that whistling kite. <laughs> and he's telling lies. I do see it all. <laughs> um, I should imagine um, because there are some long stretches of road um, um, going going for hours and hours on end. I used to drive in from Cloncurry to Townsville and it'd be an 11-hour drive. And the girls mm. and I used to listen to some wonderful books as, as we drove. So I imagine you could write, if you can read a book or listen to a book on that stretch, you could probably write, you know, quite oh, yeah. a few thousand words. I wrote, my, the funniest thing that I've ever done, um, the edits for Hot Rock, which is probably my second favourite book. It's actually set in the UK, um, starts in Australia and goes to the UK. It's a time travel novel. I had the edits due back for that. Um, I think that was our trip when we were going to... No, it was our Kakadu trip. It was on our way back and we were at Taylor's Beach, which is a little beach up near Ingham. And we were camped on an unpowered site because we couldn't get a powered site. We, we don't have a book, we just 
turn up where we turn up. So we're on an unpowered site and I needed to get my edits done for Hot Rock. So Ian was out fishing on a fishing charter or fishing trip. So I sat in the laundry of the caravan park at Taylor's Beach for a whole day and did the edits of Hot Rock while I charged my laptop. So, And, and when you travel around everybody, I can tell you, you see a lot of backpackers, you see a lot of um, travellers. The laundry is a very busy place as everybody tries to get their devices charged. But my memory of Taylor's Beach makes me laugh because um, you're obviously in a safe spot there, Annie. We pitched our tent at Taylor's Beach and we're right on the boundary and there was this sign and I've still got the photo of it and it says, no crocodiles beyond this point. And I thought, we're in a tent. Gee, I hope those crocodiles can read. (laughs) (laughs) I know. You know, I've never thought much about crocodiles but... For some reason, they're appearing in all of my stories lately. You know, I, I, I didn't intend having them in um, Daintree Sunrise. Well, there's not actually a crocodile, but there's lots of mention of crocodiles. And yeah. uh, we actually discovered a gorgeous beach. Now, where is it? Where is it? Where is it this time? Um, oh, I'm just trying to think. Oh, on the other side of Early Beach, you go across the Conway National Park and you come to Conway Beach and Wilson's Beach. I don't know if you've been there on the other side of Early, and Wilson's Beach just looks so crocodile And I actually took a photo of the Actum, you know, don't swim here, crocodiles, and next to it some um, larrikin had put a handwritten sign and it was perched up against it four-metre crocodile photographed here in February 2016. So do believe the signs. Yeah, and North Queensland and the Territory, they're wonderful places, um, but there are signs everywhere. You can get eaten by Irukandji um, box jelly or box jellyfish, Irukandji jellyfish. You can get taken away by a crocodile. There are um, some of the deadliest fierce snakes um, up there in the outback. And I think it was Billy Connolly who's, who made a wonderful joke about it. Um, do these things turn up in taxis, you know, because there's beware and danger everywhere you go. Um, but the reality is um, probably people in cars do the most damage. If you're sensible, you're fine. Uh, now, getting back to writing, because I do get carried away with you. I oh, know one thing I just wanted to mention. Another writer who's travelling up there at the moment in her yacht is Helen Young. And she Helene. put, yeah, and she put a beautiful thing. I was at Helene, is it? Helene. Helene. See, so yes, I've I've learned. I've always called her Helene, but it's Helene. Helene. Yeah. And <laughs> I then, asked her. Yeah, this is what happens when you meet people on Facebook. You only you only see them. You don't actually get to talk to them. But I am going to ask Helene whether she'll come on. Um, uh, what, where am I? Right around the road. And she might, she might. Um, but she put up a wonderful video on the top of South Mile Island. Now, I worked and lived at South Mile and had the yacht anchored out the front, so that was my lifestyle. But that is just a magic vista looking out um, over the um, Whitsunday Passage all up through there. Um, what islands are you going to with your novel? Come on, you've got to tell us. Okay, well, um, I think it will happen the... The defining event that starts this story, and I won't give it away because it's a little bit different, will happen on the other side of um, Hook Island, on the ocean side of Hook Island. And Hook Island and probably Whitsunday Island and Whitsunday Peak will be um, major parts. Maybe a little bit of Sid Harbour, Sid Harbour, Sawmill Bay. Uh, now, I probably you probably don't know this, but we've been up there. We've sailed up there seven times. We do bare boat charters in the Whitsundays, and yep. that's why I just adore it. Yep. And Helene actually posted a video this morning on Facebook as they left Woodwark Bay. Yes. And 
the vista. And I thought, oh, that's so cruel. If it wasn't for my grand, our grandchildren living here and our, both our children living down here in this town, we would be at Early Beach to live tomorrow. Yeah. We just, it's our place. It's our go-to place. And my husband keeps looking at real estate there and I'm like, no, no, I'm not leaving the children. He just rolls his eyes. But, yes, any of the islands. Um, we've been a little bit further south to Brampton off Mackay. I love Brampton Island. Um, but I think my favourite... Years ago, before it was developed, we stayed in the little bay at Palm Bay on Long Island before Peppers took it over and turned it into a resort. And we used to call it Gilligan's Island. It was just, it was wonderful. So, But, you know, you, you really can't pick one island over the other. It's, it's just the most glorious part, part of the world to me. I love it. We used to go sailing through there with the spinnaker up and we'd be sitting up on the deck playing Scrabble. We'd have our glass of port. My memories of the Whitsundays are magic. Um, and I think I wrote a romance novel um, set in the Whitsundays as well. But when my ex-husband left, he took all my manuscripts with me on, oh. on our discs. And they were back in, back in the floppy disc days. Can you remember oh. that? <laughs> Yes, the, the five inch or the three and a quarters. Oh, about <laughs> that big, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, look, I knew this would happen and I had to be very careful, but again, I am passionate about what's out there in our country. Rider on the Road is about um, getting out there, seeing it, doing it and writing about it. And Annie is everything I'd hope she'd be and more. And I would love to have you back, Annie, uh, when in November when Kakadu, no, sorry, when Daintree Dane Sunrise. Sunrise. Yeah. Yep. Um, because yep. there are some wonderful places and it's Mossman Gorge I think of where you can and I probably shouldn't say this because people do kill themselves they when the water is right you can jump in up the top and you can um, ride the rapids down in your you know just on your bottom um, ride the rapids down to the bottom and it is absolutely glorious very cold water though very 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 cold water um, I actually have some lovely photographs of Mossman Gorge and Wonga Beach and Cape Tribulation. We spent probably spent three weeks up there when I was doing the research, and we had glorious weather. And another writer, Alison Stewart, who writes historicals, is up there on a holiday at the moment, and she posted a photo of Daintree uh, um, Mossman Gorge last week with a raincoat shivering in the cold, with the water just flowing because this year's dry season has just been crazy. It's you know so much so much water and so much um, water coming down the gorges, but um, in my Daintree Sunrise, Mossman becomes Dalrymple, and I've been reading George. Dalrymple's expedition diaries of 1873 I think it was yesterday looking for an epigraph for the front of the book and I just got totally sidetracked and I was reading all of these historical documents so there's, there's you know the book's finished and here am I still reading about the Dane tree so. and, and, and it is, it's got a wonderful history up there I'm, I'm researching and writing Timbercutter's Daughter but my work ethic you know it'll be out in about 2050 uh, but again the historical documents and the exploration it's not told in I guess as much in the mainstream as we would like it to be um, and there's a lot of material up there all through Georgetown all those places where where you're obviously touching on in your novel another one I like too is Mount Surprise have you been you know Mount Surprise coming back from Cloncurry to Townsville we fell in love with Mount Surprise and we were planning to get back there this year, but, you know, we got sidetracked. So that will that'll probably be next year. We'll go fossicking up at O'Brien's Creek. There's just so many places to see 
Yeah. We're just so lucky in this country. The, the grandeur, the landscapes, um, it, it's unsurpassed anywhere else in the world. Yeah, and, I, and, and I'm hoping to inspire more people to get out there and, and do what we do. I've got two daughters who just, for some bizarre reason, and you'd understand it as a high school principal, they want to go to school right now, and I'm so cross with them because we've just rented oh, a house. Yeah. yeah, and I'm thinking, oh. why? Why? Yes, you know, but there's, there's places to go and they can do external study or distance ed or something like that. Yeah. How old are they? they uh, need to 13 and 16. We've done a lot of homeschooling. That's how we've travelled around the place and it's mm. been wonderful. They know better, but right now at this period of time. School. Oh, well, it, it, I put the high school principal hat on. That's wonderful to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I go to school every day and I say, I'm back again because they made me. Um, but just to finish on a professional note, speaking of teachers and writers and school and stop travelling and talking about travel, uh, I was fiddling around here earlier and I just wanted to talk to you about a report that came out and it's from the Romance Writers of America, San Diego, 2016, and it's the Romancing the Data, a comprehensive look at Amazon author earnings for romance and it's put out by authorearnings.com and they're very, very good data guy and he tells us what's actually happening out there in the marketplace. Have you seen that report at all? That's the one I was talking about I saw on RWA Australia um, a couple of weeks ago. Yes, I had a quick flick through it. Actually, yeah. no, I think it was on Andy Harrison's site. She, she put a link up to it and I had a look. It was very interesting. And, and it's saying that, um, look, I've just brought one page up, how many romance books are brought, bought in the US every year. And I noticed you said something about there were 70,000 um, romance novels released a week. Was that correct? Well, I don't know how correct that was. I read that on a blog, you know, you've got to take things lightly. But I know, the, you know, the number of books that I upload for clients, you know, I'm just one little editor in one little town and some weeks I might upload 10 or 12 books for various clients. Other weeks I mightn't do any. So, you know, 70,000 a week, I wouldn't be surprised. There are a hell of a lot of books out there on Amazon at the moment. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to link to this report for anybody that's interested um, because it is huge. We know as romance authors that it's the biggest um, selling self-publishing genre. I don't know about print and, uh, sorry, I don't know about traditional because I haven't researched that. And I know the thriller and adventure authors are a little bit jealous because they're catching up with us. Uh, but one of the things here it says romance is huge but it's grossly underreported and that's because a lot of it is self-published I guess indie published it's going under the radar it hasn't got ISBNs it's not picked up by um, Bookscan and the traditional publishers have tried to to control it but it's really gotten away from them hasn't it it has, yes, because, you know, the with Nielsen's book Scan and the traditional publishers and even the e-book publishers, they have the figures, they know how many they're selling. But self-publishing is such a private individual business. I have friends, um, author friends in RWA Australia who are very quiet and who are selling, you know, a couple of thousand books every week. Now, my self-publishing books started off well, but I've sort of let them go because um, what I'm trying to do now is rebadge myself as a women's fiction author and move more into women's fiction. And speaking about, you know, to do with the travelling side of things, a lot of my interviewers um, last year or early this year when Kakadu came out, tried. they labelled me and I didn't mind it. I was an eco-adventure romance author and I was an activism romance author and I really like that because each of my books now 
has a message. It's a message about our landscape and our beautiful country, but um, the one in um, Kakadu Sunset was about environment. Daintree Sunrise is also about environment, preserving our environment. Kimberley Moonlight, a little bit less so. It's got more a criminal um, focus, but there is lots of Indigenous cultural issues in that as well. So it was interesting to be labelled. So I don't know whether it's because I'm not promoting myself publishing books self-published books as much or whether it's because there's so many out there now and the market is really changing and it's changing the sales yeah and you've got you've got to have a, a something unique to to get you noticed in all the noise that's happening out there and again the reason I picked you up is because of that beautiful cover that beautiful landscape that beautiful environment I strongly um, hope that you keep going because I want to read everything that you write. Um, Annie, I've taken up an hour of your time. I do this every week. I'm supposed to take half an hour. I adore you. I want you back in November if that's all right. Um, yeah, and I can't wait. I haven't seen the cover of Dane Tree Sunrise yet, but I'm imagining that Pan McMillan will do a spectacular job, the same as they did with Kakadu. That's my excitement over the next... Apart from flying to Europe on Thursday, you know, I'm excited about my cover coming very shortly. <laughs> and you've flown a helicopter and you've sailed with something. I am a jealous woman. I am totally jealous. Um, you've escaped the school system and you're out there living the life that, that I'm going to live as soon as I can you get my goals. Yeah. And I tell everyone, it's, the, it's determination be driven and have passion and perseverance and you'll do it you'll yeah, do it well, I've done it that's the trouble I've done it um, when I grow <laughs> up I want to be just like Annie Seaton everybody uh, so I'm going to say thank you Annie you're a beautiful guest I'll put that report up I'm looking at more things I could talk about it with Annie for another half hour but I think I've done everybody's patience in now um, thank you Annie um, and everybody if you could go over and subscribe to my newsletter so you hear about all my guests coming up if you could give us a review on iTunes I beg and ask every week but nothing ever happens so it will happen eventually um, thank you Annie and we'll talk again in November thank you for having me Mel it was delightful now you go and sit in the sun and read your Sunday book yeah capital <laughs> sunset <laughs> thank Bye. you Annie bye bye thanks Thank you.